0: This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. I am your host. And this is episode number five, where we're going to talk about Jesus being begotten according to Matthew and Luke. We spent the last few episodes looking through the Old Testament, through the Hebrew Bible, describing how. Uh, that part of the Bible depicts the promises of the Messiah, particularly that he would be uh, born from the line of Judah, how he'd be from the line of David, the king, and thereby he would be an official and authentic human being. This is one of the requirements of the Messiah is that he has to be of the line of Judah and of the line of David, thereby making him a human figure the Messiah within the Old Testament was not understood to be Yahweh himself, nor was he understood to be some sort of angelic figure from heaven. On the contrary, he was to be a human being descending from these famous persons. And so now we're going to look at the New Testament because the New Testament has quite a lot to say, at least two episodes worth, or two podcasts worth of information regarding the birth of Jesus. And in particular, Uh, The New Testament will often use uh, the verb yena'o, which is the verb which means to beget. For someone to be begotten, that would mean that that person has been brought into existence. So therefore, if Jesus is indeed begotten, then he did not literally pre-exist his birth in any meaningful way. He was brought into existence in the womb of his mother Mary, as we're going to see. Matthew and Luke write, Two of the New Testament's Gospels, these Greco-Roman biographies about the life and teachings of Jesus, and so we're going to look at those today. Of course, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is primarily here to start a conversation with people, to help you to raise questions, to have some things to talk about with your friends, with your family, with your Bible study group, with your pastor. We are here to promote the oneness and the unity of God, God being a single undivided person rather than two or three persons and we are here to promote the humanity of Jesus. In particular in this episode we are looking at Jesus as the human being who was born, he was begotten. This is what we'll look at the Messiah being begotten, particularly according to Matthew and Luke's writings. So you don't get very far into the New Testament you, Turn the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, and we read something like this. The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So we don't get very far before we see that the New Testament is already highlighting the things that we have discussed and observed throughout our search through the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, in our previous episodes, particularly that Jesus is the descendant of David the king. And going back even further, he is the descendant of Abraham, the primary patriarch of Israel's history. The New Testament starts off trying to show that Jesus has lineally descended from these two famous figures. It doesn't start off saying Jesus was a pre existent figure who lived in heaven, who one day decided to become a man. On the contrary, it's going to depict a very long and detailed genealogy. One of these long passages where there's a whole bunch of begats. as what some of the older translations used. Uh, to be begotten, or the begats, uh, is a, a fair way of, of translating uh, the verb yanao. Uh, or in the way that we see here in Matthew's uh, version uh, with its verbal form, a yenison. We're going to see that verb 40 plus times in which it's trying to trace Jesus, starting from Abraham, going all the way down through David, and then going all the way down through Joseph and Mary, out of whom, out of Mary, Jesus was born. And in this passage, it, we're seeing that Matthew is going to use uh, the standard Jewish formula for uh, genealogies that we could see in passages like Genesis chapter five, verses one through thirty-two, Ruth chapter four, verses eighteen through twenty-two, and First Chronicles two, 10 through fifteen. The standard Jewish formula for genealogies, to where the father begat his son, who begat his son, who begat his son, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on to show. Uh, the descendants, and the family tree. Matthew's genealogy has some interesting things that allow it to stand apart from previous genealogies wherein human mothers are depicted. Uh, And in the Greek text, uh, Matthew demonstrates with the preposition ek, which is the preposition for out of or from, literally out of, where we get the word exit today, in regard to these women. So, for example, we can see in Chapter 1 and verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And that preposition by is the Greek preposition ek. So these children came out of Tamar. That is, that is where children come from, out of their mothers. We also see this in verse 5. Salmon was the father of Boaz, ek, Rahab. So Boaz came out of, by, Rahab. And then also in that verse, Boaz was the father of Obed, by Ruth again that Greek preposition ek so Obed came out of Ruth verse 6 Jesse was the father of King David David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba so Solomon came out of ek Bathsheba very clear And the passage goes on and on and on. And it goes from verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, all the way down to verse 16, continue to show that this person was the father of this person. This person was the father of this person. Over and over and over and over and over, over 40 times until, until we get down to the climactic point, verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by X whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah? So Jesus here came out of Mary, he was born and he is legitimately the Messiah. That's very important. Verse 18 helps to bring the conversation from a genealogy but more to some narrative it states this a very important point at the beginning of here, Matthew 1:18. now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows except this word birth, In the Greek text is the word genesis, the modern Greek pronunciation of the word genesis. So we could almost translate this as, now the genesis of Jesus Christ was as follows. Did Jesus have a genesis? Did Jesus have a beginning? We all know what genesis means. Genesis is the name of the first book of the Bible, the first book of the Hebrew Bible, in which things are created, in which things find their beginning. So did Jesus have a beginning? Absolutely. According to Matthew, Jesus had a Genesis. Now the Genesis of Jesus Christ was as follows. How did Jesus come into being? Let's find out. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Verse 20, very important, pay attention, focus up. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, quote, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife for, whenever you see the word for, you want to stop and say, oh, what is the word for? For, he's unpacking his statement. For the child who has been begotten in her is of the Holy Spirit. The child who has been begotten in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. Your translation might say conceived, except beginning is actually the action of the father. Conception is the action of the mother. The Greek verb means to beget. The child who has been begotten in Mary is of the Holy Spirit. And the sense here is that the Holy Spirit has been the operating, powerful, creative force that within Mary has created, miraculously created, this human being Jesus without the paternal help of Joseph. And so the uh, beginning of Jesus occurred within Mary, according to Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 20. And this is very important. Raymond Brown, a very famous catholic theologian in his commentary on the birth narratives of matthew and luke entitled the birth of the messiah said this in regard to this passage quote there is no suggestion of an incarnation whereby a figure who was previously with god takes on flesh he says that in his book the birth of messiah page 141 and i think raymond brown is an honest catholic scholar there by pointing out, even against his own tradition, that Matthew is not teaching an incarnational theology whereby someone who is with God takes on flesh. So Matthew makes it very clear. He opens his gospel right out of the gate, uses the first 20 verses to demonstrate that Jesus is of the line of David. Jesus is of the line of Abraham. Jesus was miraculously created and begotten inside Mary. And therefore, Jesus had a beginning. He came into being. He had a starting point of his life. And thereby, he did not literally pre exist his birth for one second prior to his coming into existence. That's Matthew. Now we can move on to Luke in Luke's gospel. We're also going to look here in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 actually uh, describes a different account wherein Gabriel appears to Mary in contrast from Matthew to where the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. So in Luke chapter 1, in verse 32, we have Gabriel speaking to Mary. This is what Gabriel says about the child to be born. Quote, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Verse 33, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. That's five future verbs there. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. But the fact that he will be called the Son of the Most High implies that he is not already the Son because he hasn't been brought into existence yet. Mary in verse 34 asks the honest question, how could this be? Verse 35, a very, very, very important passage tells us about the beginning of Jesus. Luke 1.35 The angel answered and said to her, Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and for that reason, the Holy One who is begotten, the Holy One who was begotten shall be called the Son of God. Here in this passage, we have this excellent, very precise and detailed answer from Gabriel regarding the bringing into existence of Jesus, the Son of God. First of all, we have the parallelism of Holy Spirit coming upon Mary. And then the parallelism with that line is that the Holy Spirit is likened to the power of the Most High overshadowing her. And it is because of that reason, because of the Holy Spirit's powerful overshadowing over Mary, that uh, the Holy One who was begotten shall be called the Son of God. According to Luke one thirty five, Jesus is the Son of God precisely because of the miracle birth through the intervention of God's powerfully creative Holy Spirit. It's almost, again, likening to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, to where the earth was formless and void, and the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters before God was able to speak things into existence. Here, the Holy Spirit hovers over Mary right before the new creation, Jesus Christ, is brought into existence. So the Holy Spirit, being the creative force of the Father, God's uh, power by extension, hovers over Mary, brings Jesus into existence. The Greek is very clear. It is the Holy One who was begotten, and he is thereby called the Son of God. According to Matthew and Luke, Jesus is brought into existence in the womb of his mother without any ambiguity whatsoever. Joseph Fitzmaier, who also happens to be a famous Catholic theologian and commentator, states in his commentary, on Luke in the Anchor Bible, that Luke does not teach an incarnational or pre-existent theology. Page 351. Of course, Luke also has a genealogy. This was in chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, where he actually starts backwards. He starts with Jesus, goes back through Joseph to Eli, And goes all the way back, all the way back. But instead of stopping uh, with Abraham, where Matthew started, he goes all the way back to Adam, the Adam from Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And actually says that in verse 38 the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So he has this long, detailed genealogy here to make the same point that Jesus descended from all of these persons that he was a lineal human descendant. He fulfills the role of being the son of David. He fulfills the role of being the son of Judah. That's in verse 33 of Luke chapter 3. He fulfills the role of being the son of Abraham. That's in verse 34 of Luke chapter 3. And ultimately is the descendant of Adam. So both Matthew and Luke regard Jesus as being the descendant of these persons. And according to Famous commentators whose tradition actually wants them to say otherwise. There is no preexistent or incarnational theology in either of these documents, being Matthew and Luke. Now, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. It's the second volume to his gospel Luke. In the book of Acts, we have two comments regarding the birth of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 30, we have Peter's Pentecost sermon. And here Peter is going to cite Psalm 132, verse 11. But notice what Peter says. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one from the fruit of his loins on his throne. Here in this passage, very clear that Peter regards Jesus as the one who came from the fruit of David's loins. And by doing this, he cites Psalm 132, verse 11, a passage we've looked at in previous episodes to demonstrate that Jesus was a lineal human descendant from King David. He came from the fruit of his loins. He's one of his lineal descendants. Very clear there in Acts chapter 2, verse 30. Later in Acts chapter 13, we have Paul's Sermon where he states in verses 22 through 23 After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the seed of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. So, there in verse 23, It says that Jesus is of the seed of this man, David. He is from David's own line. He's one of David's seeds, one of David's descendants. That is who Jesus is. God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, from the line of David. Of course, we wouldn't expect Luke to describe uh, the origin of Jesus in the book of Acts any different than what he did in his gospel of Luke. And so we're seeing here continuity between Luke and Acts. That's going to be a wrap for today. Hopefully it's been a lot for you to chew on and a lot for you to consider. Please feel free to share these findings with your friends and discuss it with your family. And we hope that this has brought some light to the subject about the origins and the bringing into existence of the human being Jesus Christ in Matthew and Luke. Be sure to visit us online at biblicalunitarian.com and youtube.com slash biblicalunitarian. Again, my name is Dustin Smith. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, take care.